Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome in to the Buddhist Biohacker. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is Lisa Gunshore. I am your host. Please don't forget to click subscribe if you haven't already. And I don't know about you guys, but I am so excited to be back with Satyam today. He is one of our favorite featured guests, and I missed you, so I'm glad to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be here. Wonderful to be back and to be uh, communicating and getting another show going and exploring another topic. Just a pleasure to be back. Absolutely. I yeah, I love it. And I love the topic today. I actually love yamas and niyamas. It was my favorite part of yoga teacher training. And I have a lot of juicy stuff in here I want to ask you about. And I know you yeah. have a lot probably to talk about. So we have a pretty, this is a juicy, yummy topic today. And for everybody who's in the audience, don't forget to um, post in the live chat. We love to hear from you. Go ahead, Satya. I'm sorry I cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just concurring. Please continue on. We'll get going. Well, I have a little thing I'm going to read about yamas and niyamas that I thought was so good and one of my favorite things. And hi, Anne. Welcome in. Um, welcome, everybody. It says this. Our bodies have a tendency to move toward balance. In science, this is called homeostasis. We each have within us a natural wisdom that guides us towards healing and wholeness. Just by turning our attention toward the yamas and niyamas as we move through our daily lives, we open up to the journey of coming closer and closer to realizing them. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that, that's a good opening, a very good opening. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to dive in? Because I think it's good to explain what yamas and niyamas are for everybody who's like, what the heck are we talking about? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Let's, let's demystify this. Yes. And so our topic is, let's do a little lead into the topic. Uh, everyone knows what yoga is, or most about, most everybody, but sometimes our definition or our understanding of it is, um, you know, related with a particular, sometimes with a class or yoga posture. And a lot of people say, I want to know yoga philosophy, or I want to learn to take my practice off the mat. And the topic of jama and niyama is the ideal segue and channel for moving off the mat into the world, as well as into the philosophical realm and into certain spiritual aspects as well. It is just such a great dynamic platform to expanding what we know about yoga or what experience so it's, it's a great, and this is, so for anyone who wants to know, hey, how do I practice yoga off the mat? Or what is, what's the backbone of yogic morality or, or conduct and uh, philosophical foundations? Then this is all embedded in Jamaniyama. And, um, and so we, we'll, let's go into it here. Now, one of the things, um, and I'm not a big pronunciation guy by any means, but sometimes it's good to know where things come from. And uh, in Sanskrit, when the Y starts the beginning of the word, it has a J sound. And, oh. actually, and, and so actually, it's not yoga, it's jog. You know, if you go to India, go to the Himalayas, it's jog, not yoga. And now it becomes Americanized or world, you know, it, it, things, pronunciations change over time across space and all that stuff. But, uh, but, but when Y is in the middle, it's a soft Y. So with this particular topic, uh, from the um, traditional uh, pronunciation would be Jama and Niyama. So the soft, the second Y in Niyama is soft because it's in the middle. And the, the Y at the beginning for the Jama is, that's why I'm saying it with the J sound. Oh my um, God, I love that. I didn't know that. So I'm yeah, so glad you yeah, shared that. Jama and Niyama. Posting in the app, like all of the Sanskrit Explain, you know, how to speak in Sanskrit and different words. And I love it because I think the the potency of correct pronunciation with Sanskrit in particular is so important because of the energy. So I love that. Learn something new. I like it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And what you said is true about uh, with mantra and, and different things that pronunciation has, it has meaning and the sound has value, no doubt. Yeah. Right. So, so when we talk about Jamaniyama, what are we talking about? And if we were to distill it down into one word, we would say there's a word in Sanskrit known as samyam. 
S-A-M, long A, and Y-A-M-A, last A is pretty much silent. And that means regulated conduct. And that's really what we're talking about with Jama Niyama. And then, so what type of conduct? Well, there are five Jamas and five Niyamas. And the five Jamas are our relationship with the world around us. And the five Niyamas primarily concentrate on our relationship with our inner world, our inner self. And so, um, and, and for those who want more of a uh, configuration or where this sets within yogic philosophy, Ashtang yoga, which means, uh, Asta means eight, Ang means limb, the eight limbs of yoga, which were codified, not invented, not discovered, not realized, but codified by the great philosopher Patanjali about 2,200 years ago. The first two steps are Jama and Niyama. They're the first two steps of the eight limbs of yoga. And the third step is the asan, which is the uh, um, uh, physical postures. So, so these are, here you go. These are your one, two, three, jama, one, two, niyama, and third is asan. That's the batting order for the ashtang yoga um, uh, codification of, of the eight limbs of yoga. So these two are, they're right there. This is like premier information about expanding our, our understanding of yoga. So, um, so we got 10 of them and we need to get them all in. So let's jump into it here. <laughs> Otherwise I'll just keep talking in generalities. The first one, so we're going, we're going to go through the five jamas at the beginning. The first one is ahimsa. Um, himsa, H-I-M-S-A in Sanskrit means harm, to inflict harm. And the prefix a in Sanskrit is just like uh, English. It means not. It means negation. So ahimsa, not to inflict harm. Just like um, in English, we say typical and atypical. Atypical means that it's not typical. Same thing here. Ahimsa means it's not himsa. It's not harmful. And the yogis say that we should live in a way not to inflict harm by... Uh, on other beings to the degree that we can. So it's not a absolute that you can't inflict harm because that's an impossibility for human beings. When we breathe, we kill thousands and billions of microbes and bacteria just by our breathing. So what are we going to do? We're not going to breathe so we don't inflict harm on the microbes. So by, by life, we inflict, we, we do we harm other beings, but, but that's okay. This universe, this cosmos is built like that. You know, you can't tell the tiger not to inflict harm and not to, they had, that's its natural propensity. It has to make one kill, but as human beings to the degree we can't, then we should refrain. And there's a lot we can do in that regard. So, um, okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean? That it means that, um, we should not do emotional harm to others, right? We see that and it, that is such a tremendous um, impact in the world today that people out of mean-spiritedness or out of uh, greed or avarice or jealousy or different things, people, they feel like they got, you know, to inflict harm, they get a little bit of self-satisfaction. Well, I got that person, right? Well, we should rise our minds up above that tendency to get joy from uh, someone else's suffering. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes, you know, there's a lot of emotional pain out there. And that's that's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is um, the, the food we eat. We, to eat in a way to not to inflict harm on as, as little harm as possible. And this comes up with, uh, in terms of practical application, um, that the, the yogic recommendation is to follow a plant-based diet because to not to inflict harm on those more sentient beings that have much more a sense of self, or they have a greater sense of self, a greater sense of their life, and they'll protect their lives. And um, so that, that the vegetarian or plant-based diet is very much in accordance with the policy or, or theme of, of ahimsa, of not to inflict pain. And I know some people will say, well, hey, you're, you're, you're also killing the vegetable. 
And, um, and the response is that human beings have to live off of something. The yogis say we get energy from the air, from the light, from water, but we have to take some type of substance food, at least at this point in our in our manifestation. And if you've ever picked a tomato off a leaf or pulled a little carrot out of the ground, it's quite a, it's not a harmful experience. There's not pain, there's not blood, there's not screaming, there's not squelching, there's, it's, and, and, and to let that tomato rot on the vine then it, it becomes a sad scene. Oh, look at all the rotten vegetables. Who who didn't neglected the garden? Whereas to, to pick them and let them ripen on your window, it's quite a, a happy uh, and, and very sentient manner, as opposed to um, physically forcing an animal to uh, to go against its desire to live and, and that type of thing. So that, that would be the response. Oh, well, vegetarians also harm. The, it's much less. Those vegetables have a much lower sense of self and a l- much less developed ego as opposed to a dog or a monkey or a cow or so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm glad you shared that because that's important for people to realize because you can get caught up pretty quick in, in, you know, what you're doing and what kind of harm you're causing and, and how to counteract that. I think I can get I can get mentally tangled up in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the yogis are big on that. Everything should have a logic and reasoning to it. Nothing should be imposed without. So everything's open for discussion and we can see, you know, so it's very much an uh but it, there should be a logic and a reason. Nothing should be done just out of tradition or out of um, you know blind uh, blind following. But yeah, that's that's the sense with with uh, ahimsa. And well, I have I have a quote. Yes. And a couple activities. Oh, good. Practice ahimsa. I thought this could be my contribution today to your team. Absolutely. Um, and thank you, Carrie. Carrie just uh, sent us a super sticker and a donation of twenty dollars. So thank you so much for doing mm-hmm. that. What a treat and a gift. Um, so thank you and to all the members. And for you, those of you who are joining in the conversation, as we go through these different um, jamas and niyamas, mm-hmm. I'm going to say this right now. Got it. Um, as we go through these, I'd love to hear, you know, how you're inspired. Um, here's my comment about hymns of my quote. It's by Tick not Khan, which I can't ever say his name right either. If in our daily life we can smile, if we can be peaceful and happy, not only we, but everyone will profit from it. This is the most basic kind of ahimsa. So that, that was yeah. cool. And here's yeah. a couple of activities you guys can do. So if you want to practice ahimsa, because I think, you know, I don't know about you, Saiyan, but the best part of going through any kind of yoga training is practicing these, you know, putting them in your daily life. So one of them is when you catch yourself having a negative thought about anyone or anything, including yourself, stop and turn that into a blessing, a prayer, or a call for the highest good of that person or situation. You can also um, let yourself be still and go into the silence of timelessness at random times throughout the day. We practice remembering that all of life is unified. So those are a couple ahimsa practices. Nice, nice, yeah. And uh, and I find that when people practice ahimsa more, they become a more peaceful person. People feel better about themselves and their activities in the world. And and those quotes work towards that. And I appreciate that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we'll march on. And if anyone has any questions, we can always backtrack. But yeah. uh, it'd be a shame if we only got through six of them. So, uh, yeah. So, we'll, 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 yeah. so we'll, we'll march on. And there's always more to be said about any of them. So uh, we'll go. The second one is Satya, uh, S-A-T-Y-A. And this one, we, we need to spend a little bit of time on this one because it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a nuanced point. Satya means benevolent truthfulness. And that means to think, speak, and act for the welfare of others. As opposed to the Sanskrit word arita, which means factual truth. And most of the time, Satya and arita work hand in hand. That's just, most of the time, we're always telling the factual truth 
as we should. And that works for the that works for our own sense of honesty, and it works for our own sense of uh, speaking for the welfare of others. But there are certain occasions where we should not give the factual truth. And people are like, wait a second now. I uh, hear the big, you know, the liar, liar, you know. But here it is. This is the one that I found to be the most convincing and clear. And most people would follow this without knowing the word satya or anything. They'd say, this is the logical, reasonable, rational thing to do. Suppose there's a woman or a, someone, an older person, we can say a grandma, and um, on, and she's not, she's on in her last dying days uh, on this earth. You know, she has disease and she may be, and, um, and she, she's not leaving the hospital. She's not leaving her bed. And she asked about her youngest son. And her youngest son got in a tragic accident yesterday and died. And her days on this earth are limited. And she says, how's Tommy? That's my, she, my youngest baby, even though he's now 55 or 60. How's Tommy? Please tell me. I want to know how he's doing. Are you going to say to her that he died yesterday and that he got smashed? You, yes, he's fine. He's doing so well. What is the need to put her in anguish on her, in her last days on this earth, that w w which, might even, which might even expedite her passing or give her such torment and pain that she cannot pass peacefully because she's so distraught and got into such a severe depression that her son predeceased her? These things come on. So there's no need to, to tell her the factual truth does her a disservice. It doesn't rob her of anything. It, it, it robs her of her peace. But so there are certain times in life where saying the factual truth does not speak to that person's welfare. You're, if you're saying, the, if you're speaking Satya does not go hand in hand with selfishness. If you're manipulating the truth for your own selfish gain, that is not satya. It has to be for the other's welfare. So any of the political shenanigans, the financial shenanigans, you know, the Wall Street backdoor dealing, all those things, they have nothing to do with satya. If you're protecting your own greed or your own avarice, or your own self-interest, forget about it. But if you're speaking to the welfare of others and you need to massage things a little bit for their welfare, then it then um, then that that's the proper spirit. Then and, and that's why. So our sense of our when we talk to others, we can't always just uh, stick to Rita. We have to contemplate and see what's the best thing to tell that person. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. Yeah. Um, I'm looking here. There's one uh, quote here. It's actually from the Guru Gita mm -hmm. um, about Satya. Uh, this truth moves and does not move. It is far and near. It is inside all of this, also beyond everything. I am unborn and undecaying without beginning and without end. I'm the unchangeable bliss of consciousness, smaller than small, greater than great. Existing even before the beginning, I am everlasting, radiant, and pure. I am beyond space, immovable, blissful, and imperishable. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Satya, that that aspect deals with the eternal, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what is true across time and space and what's what what exists. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there's a difference between honesty and truth with a capital T, right? There's like right, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ultimately, we're we're with um, it's that um, eternal. It's it, the the abode of satya is that eternal entity or that um, you know supreme consciousness or right, no doubt that force mm -hmm. that. Unites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I have a little activity for this if you want to do um, during the week when you receive texts or phone calls. Use them first as a bell of mindfulness. When the text notification goes off, take a deep breath in and out. Observe whether responding or reacting will take from your present state. And if you are operating from a place of truth, then respond mindfully as you can in the moment. If you answer the text or phone, observe that you are truly present and honest with the person you're communicating with. Nice, nice, yeah. And those things, 
Um, the good thing about something like that is it may seem small, but if you do it once or twice or three times, it builds momentum and it will become part of, we'll all become a little bit more cognizant, aware, conscious, and mindful about our communications. And it's a good, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, number three of the jamas of jama is um, asteya. Mm. And that means non-stealing. So not no stealing, but non-stealing. Um, and it's the idea that I, it's a, it's one of the more straightforward ones because we all know, hey, don't take stuff, don't steal from others. Most people know that. But the yogic ideal is don't even harbor the idea of stealing. So stealing can exist on three levels. Some people will say, I'm not going to steal that. I'm not going to get caught. And then other people will say, I'm going to hoist that because I know I can do it without getting caught. And then there's those say, I'd like to steal that, but I'm not going to. But boy, would I like to, I'd like to have that thing. Um, and the yoga idea is, is to be satisfied with what you have, uh, to oppose exploitation as needed, but to not harbor any idea of, of stealing, not taking that which is not yours in this universe. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, we all, either as kids, you know, it, you know, if you ask me, hey, do you ever steal anything with a kid? You know, I, um, well, you know, it happens, you know. But so there's something that, but usually I think most people as they get older, it becomes more, pretty more, one of the ones that I think uh, folks grow, um, they do pretty well with it. You know, we don't see it too much. But it does happen on a, um, you know, if we, if we want to consider what stealing is, if we want to consider overuse of natural resources, you know, corporate, corporate greed, uh, not paying taxes, all that type of stuff, then, then the, the point becomes quite vast. It's no longer so complex. Okay, who's going to get the resources from another country? Um, you know, what tax holes are you using, tax loops, loopholes? Then um, that all can come under the realm of stealing, of not, of not paying heed to the, the social rules of the day or natural rules. So um, in that sense, it does become a little bit of a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. right? Well, and I think there's things like stealing time. That's a good point. Or even, you know, when you're hiking in the mountains and you want to take that pine cone, you know, yeah. like, what are you doing with it? And yeah. you know, are you thanking Mother Nature for it? I mean, I think those are things we forget. Yeah. are actually really stealing. Yeah, know? no, that's well put. Yes, with the natural world, right? Mm -hmm. And my activity for Esteya is really just sitting with yourself and doing some self-inquiry and asking yourself, where have I stolen time, mm -hmm. energy, whatever it is, and where am I being stolen from? And really just take a look at it because it really gives you an idea of where you're at with your boundaries. Um, and it's something just to think about, you know, and to look at that shadow side of it as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, right. Yeah, all these are good. Um, Self-reflection. If we're not honest with ourselves and take time to reflect on these points, then um, then it's just words. that We have to be ready to commit, to sacrifice, to really be honest and give a clear analysis about Hey, how far am I following this? How far am I? Am I just living a life of convenience, or am I really trying to apply these principles? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next one is known as Brahmacharya, and they say that this one is the of the five of Jama Niyama uh, of Jamas. This is the most important one, and it can be the most difficult to follow as well. It's also commonly misconstrued. Uh, a lot of the, sometimes people say that brahmacharya means uh, celibacy, but, but it doesn't. That's not the sense. Um, the yogis are very clear that whether you're a monk or a family person, both have equal access to the heights of great realization. So it's not a question of whether I have children or whether I don't have children. And so by, if you're going to say that that means celibacy, then you're saying that what is, whatever it is, 99% of the world's population can't follow this point. But the yogic teachings are for everyone, regardless of what role they have in life. And so there is um, 
yogic realization is not based on any type of social role. And it's, it's based on mind. And there are a lot of monks who may not, first of all, there are a lot of monks who aren't really monks. That's one story, but we won't go down that road. That will be for Thursday or perhaps <laughs> that will be Thursday's talk. I have that. So, I can't um, wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got that's a heavy road to, to travel. But but the, the point is that um, if a monk is harboring the idea of lust in the mind, and the family person is just very, you know, very clean mind, that family person's far more developed than the monk. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I mean to say is um, the, there's a history in of certain in India where. The monks were, you know, looked upon as uh, they were on top, on top of the hierarchy. And there is no hierarchy. It's based on mind, not based on social role. And the hierarchy in India was, well, you'll become realized if you're a monk. And if you're a husband, you have to be reborn as a monk. And if you're a wife, you have to be reborn as a male and then be reborn as a monk. You know, so it created this this, uh, psych hierarchy of exploitation. And and it uh, and um, and the yogis like forget about that. What social role is your social role, and what your mind is? That's the main thing. And so, so the idea that brahmacharya is celibacy uh, has no merit. What does have merit is that brahmacharya means oneness. It means to see all as the expression of the one. And and the, the derivation of the word is as follows. Brahma, the great oneness of this cosmos, and char means to move. And so the teaching is wherever you move in this universe, never lose sight that this is all part of the oneness. Never see anything as being disparate, as not connected. And if you always see everything as part of the oneness, you can do justice with each and everything in this world, animate, inanimate object, that they have their inherent right, that they're part of the greater whole. It's kind of like if you really, really cherish your spouse, then you'll cherish your spouse's favorite pen and their shoes and their bank account and their, you'll do justice with everything related with that spouse. Mm-hmm. And if you love the cosmos, if in your meditation you are very linked with that oneness, then you'll see that oneness in everything. And whether you have a direct, uh, experience of that particular expression or not, you'll respect it. You'll treat it with honor and regard. You will not uh, manipulate, devour, demolish. You'll be just with it. And that is, it's so easy to see the disparate. With these crude eyes, it's so easy to chase after, and capitalism preaches that, materialism preaches that, just grab whatever you can and you'll be the victim and you'll get rewarded for it. Not, not you get reward. You get prestige for that. Look how much that person grabbed, and that that's not um, that's not the yogic way of living. That we should be just with each and everything, compassionate, and that comes from some type of greater meta. You can't impose that. You can impose it to some degree, but it needs that inner urge, that inner feeling of of uh, to look upon the world with that and. And that's where we get our contemplative activities, our, our, our kirtan, our spiritual practices. They build that sense. When you open your eyes after that, you look upon the world in a new way. And that's why spiritual practice is that. It's a practice. It's, it's just not something that we talk about. It's not just words on a page or a philosophy. That we have to transform the mind. So when we open our eyes, we're going to behave differently in this world with this world around us. Um, otherwise, it's, you know, you know, a little bit of hot air. So the, the practice and that will grow and then you can impose it. Hey, I should be. It, you know, and that that external imposition will also help the, reinforce the idea. So it's an inner and outer thing both. But but that's the spirit of Brahmacharya to look upon all as the expression of the one or as the supreme. I love it. Well, and of course, I have a quote from the Dalai Lama because that is an excellent, he's an excellent example of brahmacharya, I feel. Mm-hmm. And he says, when you are discontent, you always want more, more, more. Your desire can never be satisfied. But when you practice contentment, you can say to yourself, oh, yes, I have everything I need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
And a really great um, practice for this is um, there's a couple actually in here. Okay, so one of them is each day, invite yourself to find at least one miracle about your day and write in your journal about it. And then this one's a little bit long, but I'm going to share it because it's so good. But at least once a day, like during the week, when you sit down to eat, take a moment to explore all the energy that went into the food that is about to enter your body. Think about who made the meal, where the food came from, did it grow from the earth? Think of the sun's energy and the rain and the oxygen. Think of the animal's mother if you're eating animal protein. Um, how did this food get into your hands? Think about the market, the people that work there. So just take time to think of all the people who spent their time and their own energy um, to bring you that meal. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, that's helpful with, with being connected with the greater, uh, we're not just consumers. Yes. Nice. Carrie has a comment, Satyam. Okay. Look at this new thing I learned. We can oh, wow. That, I like that. Yeah. So Carrie says, I get a feeling in my low heart when I do not respond in alignment. Is there a name for that? Wow. Wow. I think that would come in the, uh, under the spirit of satya, of, mm -hmm. uh, of being aligned with your heart, of being aligned with your truth, of being aligned with the spirit of benevolence and the spirit of welfare, I would, uh, oh, but, and so the point would be, I would say the point is related with Satya. I get a feeling in my low heart. Uh, when, when I do not, no, that's right. That's right. Th this happens when someone's developed, that they, they feel like I have to do justice. And everybody, there's some people of no conscience, right? They, they can, you know, uh, they can take, uh, you know, an old lady's uh, dessert and feel right, you know, just snatch it right out of her hand. The point is that when, as the mind gets more developed, as the mind gets more developed, you, your conscience will speak to you when you're not living up to what you could live up to. Uh, the yogis talk about the first time a thief goes out on the job, his hands are fluttering and he's worried because his conscience is speaking. But after five times, 10 times, oh, he's cool as a cucumber, can steal from anybody. At that point, the conscience has been subdued and shut. And so Carrie's point is proper, that you get, a, you get an automatic alert from your inner, from your inner self when you feel you're not living up to what you can do in a, most, in a more conscious, more sentient manner. So mm -hmm. her point is, no, that, that's, that's, that's meaningful. That's, that's well put. And the, the, I would just say that that's one's inner, inner sense of Vivek or Vivek means discrimination or conscience speaking to them saying, hey, you know, be careful with what you're doing, how you're behaving here. And that, that's a positive thing. We all need that. Yep. So true. Yeah. Good. All right. The last one of Jama is one of those words that I wonder how we spell that one. Aparigraha. Aparigraha. Yeah, but there, there is a, on the Niyama, there's a trickier one that for spelling. But this is Aparigraha. A-P-A-R-I-G-R-A-H-A. Aparigraha. But fortunately, it spells out the way it sounds. And this is to live non-over-accumulation. To live in a simple manner. And boy, do we ever need that one in this present era, right? Yeah. To not overaccumulate, to learn to adjust with the minimal requirements needed for life. Um, and, and when you do that, it's not just a physical point. It's a point of like Jama Niyama, when we get to Santosh on the Niyamas, these two are two related. There's a sense of contentment. If you feel you have what you need, it gives a sense of mental ease. Otherwise, you know, capitalism, materialism, like nobody's satisfied. The person who has $10 billion feels like, I, I got to get more. Well, I, with 10 billion, that's nothing. When they had 10 million, they thought, oh, when I have 10 billion, that'll be great. But when they had 10 million, they got 10 billion. When they went to 10 billion, they're like, uh-uh, I need more. It's that rapacious non-quenchable devouring mentality and no one can sleep at peace with that. No one can be at peace with that type of mentality. Never. They'll never feel like they have enough. 
And um, so Parigraha works two things. It will give you mental ease and it will leave some of the resources for those others who need them. Why should we deprive others of resources of their due, their due right to water, to housing, to basic expenditures? So a Parigraha is we should all put our, you know, live in uh, accordance with what we with, with, with the standard of the day, with what we need, you know? And that will change. Uh, there was a time where we could all live with a bicycle. Now we can't. We need some type of mechanized, uh, you know, some, some speedier way of travel as well. So it changes from age to age, but we should always be mindful not to overaccumulate, mm-hmm. not to go beyond. So I have this quote from David Frawley. Mm about a parigraha, it is necessary that we renounce everything. Yet the nature of this renunciation has usually been misunderstood and a sense of freedom lost. Renunciation does not mean giving up something, like giving up material things in order to gain something spiritual. Renunciation means not taking things up in the first place, not trying to manipulate things or force our preconceptions onto life. What we must give up is our personal will to control life. To do this, we must open, be receptive and responsive to things as they are. We must be in harmony with the movement of life that clings to nothing. Renunciation is not an intended action of giving something up, but the freeing of the mind from ulterior ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. There is nothing we have to give up other than our own anxiety to control things. Wow. Nice. That fits. Totally. That fits. Nice. Yeah, this is a big point. And I mean, in into because especially if you're raised in a in a you know capitalist or materialistic society, which is spreading all over these days, um, you know, you're taught that uh, the more you you know, there's the, the old bumper sticker, whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? I mean, there you go. Yep. When that mentality is imposed, um, there's no no peace and there's no justice. There's no uh, no no contentment. Nice. So true. All right. So those are we have now completed our jamas, our five jamas of how we interact with the world, and what should be our mindset and our path to proceed. And these are large points. I mean, they can be expanded upon and applied in all different manners. And they're always up for discussion, but that's the seed or kernel of them. And now let's go to niyama. And those these are generally more within ourselves, within our unit self. The first one is soch, and it's a uh, different ways to spell it. Sometimes people spell it s h a u c h a. A lot the Roman Sanskrit would do it S H A O C A. The C has a cha sound. So um, you say that other one. S H A O. The way I the way I would spell it was S H A O C A. Wow. Okay. So let me see if I have that right. One of those two ways. Yeah. 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 The second one. Good for you. Okay. Yep. You got it. Yeah. Because I learned saucha. That's yeah, definitely yeah, so, not correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also okay. It's not, the, the, there's the funny thing that the, the A is not really an A. It's part of the last C. And so it, it's, it's, and it's, it's a ah sound, not an ah sound. So you should say sao cha, ah, that would be wrong. But soch or socha, like a little small A sound, a little small, um, depending where you're going into, they would soch or socha. That's okay, but not uh, soch. So it's kind of like a muted A. Soch. Or socha. Okay. I mean, we need to have a Sanskrit class. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and I'll jump into then that, uh, and the, and that first day in Sanskrit, it's the first day in Sanskrit, it's like for those who study French, sans, S-A-N-S, it means without, that that would be the pronunciation of the first four letters of Sanskrit, uh, Sanskrit, yeah. That, uh, but it that that the tongue, the way the Indian uh, languages and way Sanskrit, or it's not easy for the Western. Uh, there's that's a we're gonna we we actually have an upcoming talk on on Sanskrit. We're gonna do it. But that tongue, the gymnastics the tongue has to do is not easy. Or 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 to speak without aspirating any air in 
it's a challenge. Uh, some 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 language groups do that. Uh, most of the Western languages do not. But anyway, we're gonna get that. That's an upcoming talk. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, uh, so soch. It means uh, purity or cleanliness, cleanliness of your mind, cleanliness of your body, cleanliness of your surroundings, um, and that um, you know I think most traditions have this sense, but I but um, we all know what thoughts come into our mind, and if you can clean up those thoughts where they don't enter the mind, then that's one of the highest expressions of soch, of uh, where you're not even having to say, oh my gosh, why am I thinking that? Or I don't want to, that, to, to get it where that, that idea doesn't even come in. And that comes to cultivating a positive ideal through living our meditation and, and having the mind really ensconced in that meditative endeavor. Then those um, other types of thoughts, uh, degrading, demeaning types of thoughts won't come in, those non-pure non thoughts. Yeah. But. Well, and I, you know, one thing I really love about this particular niyama is um, there's there is a direct link between toxicity in the body and the toxicity in the mind, spiritually, energetically, and so that idea of cleanliness, you know, satyam, it really spoke to me because I had to go through, I had to go through a period where I had to purify parasites and then I had to purify mold and candida and all these things. So I went through these highly disciplined, which I know we're going to get to tapas, but I went through these highly disciplined periods where I had to purify my body. But what happened was I was chanting and mindful and I had to really think through what I was eating and it became this purification of of the mental space and the spiritual space so far beyond the, the body purification I was doing. And so this is such a potent niyama. It's like so important because that process of purification is what prepares you for that next awakening, that next experience, self-realization. I mean, I just think it's really important. That is so true. I'm so glad you raised that. That is so key. The link between mind and body is so inherent with us that you know if we put junk in the body it's going to have a junkyard effect on the mind it does um and so you're such a so i mean here we talk about um you know avoiding all intoxicants and being careful with any type of stimulant even the caffeine we take anything that affects the central nervous system and what the the purification process you went through is so good sometimes people can try and purify themselves, but it'll create an, an offshoot in the mind that they become agitated or angry because they're living a life of deprivation. But what you did, it was so beautiful because you purified your body and you were going through your chanting and your meditations and those things where the mind also, where it happened in, a, in, in concert, where the mind did not undergo a negative reaction because of feeling deprived. But as the mind was becoming elevated through that process, it could handle the physical purification in a very balanced way. That is, that's so important. That's so key. Yeah. Well, and, you know, some activities you guys can do with the purification. I mean, in Ayurveda, they even floss their nostrils in Ayurveda, you guys. It's all about yeah. cleanliness. No. Um, but, you know, get a tongue scraper. And yeah. I actually have a blog article about tongue scraping. If you want to know why and how to do it, it's on my website. Um, but get yourself a tongue scraper and do some tongue scraping. That's a great physical practice you can do to really help remove all of those you know, there's bacteria and there's sulfur. There's all these things that your body works really hard to bring to the surface every night. Um, but while you're doing something like a tongue scraping or lymph brushing, you know, brushing, dry brushing the skin, um, something like that, you can also do a self inquiry thinking about, you know, what are you cleaning off of yourself? What are you removing from your body energetically? That's, that's like my daily practice. Trust me, I, I dry brush and tongue scrape every day. And my lymph nodes went from being swollen off and on and having different issues to they never are, they're totally healthy. Yeah, I, uh, I introduced tongue scraping. I, I brought a, got a delivery of a few hundred tongue scrapers from India then about 10 years ago, distribute them to all my students. First thing in the morning, scrape that tongue. And, um, and you can find around here. I, I've had people who 
uh, by after a week of ton scraping, all sorts of um, um, uh, what to say um, nasal issues that they've had um, were cleared up. Yeah, and skin too. Like my yeah. skin will clear up. Like I can't tell you. I you know going from like me like. I don't know, the the normal way of living, I guess, in the United States, which is you have your Crest toothpaste and, you know, you brush your teeth too. I have tea tree oil, oil swishing. I use a powder instead of a toothpaste and yeah. I tongue scrape. And I cannot tell you a girl who has fought with periodontal and had to go in like every three months to have a completely normal dental experience just from that. And, and that doesn't include just like you're saying, Satyam, that the incredible changes in the physical body from really taking care of this space. This is an important right. space and it goes so much with Soch because that's part of it, you know, part of that cleanliness and it links to other yamas and niyamas. I think when it links to, you know, the, the self inquiry piece and, and, you know, connecting with yourself and self care. So anyways, not to no, go no. No, no, it's good. It, all these are interlinked. And so the, the point of Soch, as someone once told me, that point is vast. It's related with everything. Mm -hmm. Second one of, uh, of Niyama is Santosh. And it means, uh, this one also can have a few spellings, but generally you'll see it as S-A-N-T-O-S-H-A. Some people take off the H and put an accent on the S because it's a different type of S. But, but Santosh, pretty much how it sounds. And it means mental ease. And this is the one that I was talking about that's linked with the parigraha of not going after over accumulation. That the, the parigraha and soch, that if you, you have be at ease with what you have and physically and you and and if you pursue psycho and psychic and psycho spiritual pursuits, that will help your ease and not have that uh, uh, over zealous approach to accumulation of physical sphere. So those two are really, otherwise there's no end to how many swimming pools or how many Mercedes Benz you want. It's endless. It's, it, you'll never be satisfied. Um, so, um, and, uh, you know, that's why I always, I won't, not to mention any names, but there was a famous uh, so-called yoga teacher in Southern California who used to show off his collection of Rolls Royces. Well, we know that was, he wasn't following Jama Niyama. Yeah, it's just like he thought this. He was he thought that he was um, preaching to all the materialists of Los Angeles and trying to get his prestige that way. Little did he know that he totally buried his uh, his estimation in the eyes of uh, of the yogis. He said, "Hey, where where's your Jamaniyama?" So this santosh is that to be in a state of mental ease. And when we feel that way, we're better. We're better with ourselves. We're better with others. We think, okay, I'm. Things are okay the way they are, and I'm refining myself. But you know, it gives a sense of contentment, and that that's important. Everybody needs that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, third one, and we got so we got three more left. One yeah. is tapa, tapa, and that means to sacrifice for the goal. And this one has a variety of implications. Um, like brahmacharya, where there was a long-standing misunderstanding, brahmacharya people thought it meant celibacy, it really doesn't, um, and we covered that earlier in this talk, um, that tapa, sometimes people do, in India there was this thing that, well, I'll just do anything, I'll do anything for self-torture, and that will purify me. I'm going to stand on one leg all night in the water, and stand in tree pose all night, and or, or I'm going to put myself upside down and put my head near a fire pit. These types of things are just self-abuse. They have nothing to do with tapa. When you sacrifice for the goal, it has to be for the sacrifice of someone of someone else's welfare and well-being or towards moving towards a spiritual goal. You just can't make up some type of uh, self-torture activity, call it tapa and think you got some spiritual benefit. Forget it. You, your, your basket will be empty. You don't get anything from that. Tapa means when you sacrifice for the goal. Um, sometimes we do tup fasting. Fasting is not to deprive ourselves. It's to um, help purify the mind or help purify the body. Or we will undergo difficulty to help someone else. Um, 
That's tapasya, to help that type of, where we're not making it up, we're following a discipline that is logical, that is rational, that has not just anything thinking that by this abuse of myself, then I'm getting some spiritual gain. Uh-uh, it's not that cheap. It has to be for the welfare. It has to be some greater thing. And one other point related with this is that sometimes people do go undergo economic hardship to help others. And that's good. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to donate money and you're not going to ensure how that money's spent and that money's misspent, you're part of that negative cycle. So when you donate, a lot of people in the West like to donate to causes, but you just can't donate and think, okay, my job is done. You need to make sure it's going to a proper place. That money's being well spent. If that money's being spent going into someone's pocket or going into the you know a, the, a selfish endeavor, then you then your attempt at tapa through economic hardship is uh, fruitless. It has to be done. So always investigate. Always um, investigate where you call them up. Find out where your money's going and and uh, you investigate that don't just think that don't become a blind do-gooder that doesn't work <laughs> i laugh because we t- i talk about that a lot with my husband he and i do because you know you, you really do the research and understanding is important for sure yeah. i have a couple things both of these about tapa is from patanjali's yoga sutras he says mastery of yogic powers in the body and sensory organs result from the removal of impurities due to tapas. Mm. Through self-study, union with one's desired God is achieved. Yeah, nice. So those are both from him. And uh, yeah, the other one is Nityananda, which this is one of Julie's favorite quotes, which is the heart is the hub of all holy places. Go there and roam. So yeah. those nice. are some great ones. Yeah. They both work. Very suitable, very appropriate tapa. Yeah, and I think a great activity you guys can do for that is really just look at the content you're consuming. You know, do do a great tapa exercise is to go through your email and just clean out everything that's not aligned with your highest good. Mm. You know, subscribe, delete things, just clear out the space because, you know, I did this a few years ago with um, when I was on Facebook um, and I went through and I just, unfollowed all the stuff that was not speaking to me. And I saw, it took about a year, Mm. but I saw my feed become so rich, you know, and that's what the Ajatakasa app really is. It's this, you know, rich space um, that's, you know, conscious and creative Mm. and inspiring. And, you know, so even just a simple activity of cleaning out what you're consuming, you know, visually and with words um, is really important because that's going to help you with that discipline and removing impurities. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's it. That stuff sits in the mind. It's not like you open it. It sits there. It becomes part of your mental composition. It's very, very important. This is a point. Absolutely. Well, well taken. Yeah. yeah. All right. Number four, this is probably one of the trickier ones to spell. Swadhyay. Which I totally say wrong. Oh my gosh. But it's my favorite, one of my favorite ones. Okay, so say the pronunciation again. Swadhyay. Swadhyay. Okay. Swadhyay. Yeah. And uh, you, hey, perfect spelling. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so, yes, yeah, Swadhyay is um, proper understanding of the tenets of the philosophy uh, of, of, um, scripture of teachings, the right application. So many people have the right teaching, they misapply it, and it doesn't like um, brahmacharya, and they'll use it for their own gain. Or, but the right understanding of the teaching, and um, and the funny thing is, this will benefit you because if anyone uh, starts elaborating or espousing a particular point, it will come back to bite you because people will realize. Hey, that wasn't right what you were saying. You, know, may, you may get away with it for a short term, but it'll come back. And, and ultimately, we, we all want to be philosophically consistent. And, um, and it's also that the idea that we should speak about what we understand. We should be very clear with others about what we're not sure about, 
what we are sure about. And this is something that comes up in a lot in the realm of spirituality. Don't start going on and on about stuff that uh, you're not really sure of. It, it, you won't look good in the long run, and it doesn't serve anybody. So we want to really get set on our understanding and then project that. And then, you know, we're not omniscient. If there's something you don't say, hey, you know, this one I'm still working on, or there's a few different interpretations, I'm not sure which is right, that we should be really open and honest. But at the same time, we should be disciplined to try and always learn more and really enhance our knowledge. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Well, and, you know, this particular niyama, the the self-study, the self-inquiry, we talk about it all the time um, on this show. It's, it's really important to really look at yourself. You know, I always go back to the Dalai Lama's book, How to See Yourself as You Really Are. And that's a great book to read if you're practicing Swadhyay. Yeah. Right. Okay. No, no, perfect. That was good. Yeah, that was good. That, that could... We could uh, put that as a sound file if someone wants to learn the pronunciation. That was that was spot on. I love it. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're getting close to the end of the hour, and this is number ten. Um, so we we got there are five jamas and five niyamas. Now, the most important one on the jama side is brahmacharya of seeing everything is expression of the supreme, <laughs> uh, of seeing the oneness in all. Nothing is disparate. Everything's connected. Everything's to be valued. And then they say the most important on the Niyama side is Ishwar Pranidhan. Ishwar Pranidhan. And, and it means, yeah, perfect spelling again, nicely done. Um, that it means, Ishwar means controller. And it's really a meditation lesson, a lesson where we ensconce the mind in supreme thought. It's to align the mind with our greater universal eye, not with our individual eye. And that's how we get mental expansion. That's how we get growth in the spiritual realm. Um, and, and that's how we fight off the uh, uh, degradation and narrow-mindedness and myopia of capitalism and materialism of all those uh, egotistical ways of living that to really ensconce the mind and it, it, in um, spiritual thought. And it's a meditation, not just that to shut down the senses from external physicality and go within and explore that inner world and realize that we have an inner personality that taps into something beyond uh, what we see physically. And that is just so important. It's like the backbone of spirituality. The backbone of yogic spirituality is when I close my eyes, it's not that I'm not seeing externally. It's that I am opening up the doorway internally, and that mind can grow and realize and do things that we don't realize we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that's how that... Uh, that's that, that's that whole gateway. And the more we go in there, the more accessible it becomes. And the more we feel yearning and desire to go ahead and delve deeper into it. it, it it's, um, it's just like when you, you read a book the first time and you kind of get the outline. You read it again, you read more and more. If it's a good book, if it's a meaningful book, you get more and more out of it. Our meditation is like that. It's so dynamic. And Ishwar Pranidhan, it's just like, that's like opening up the whole spectrum of life of that. We have an inner place to go an, an inner world to explore. And that's, that's inherent part of our, the, the yogis say that human person is trifarious, physical, psychic, spiritual, and that psychic and spiritual is in exists in an invisible realm within our minds. And that there is so much to explore there and so much, to be had there. And when we do that, we're all the better in the physical realm and people recognize it. And, and it's just so good for overall. And it's, it's just, um, it's all of us giving ourselves opportunity to explore, to invite ourselves to realize what we have inherent within. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I have a video teaching of Ishwar mm-hmm. Pranidhan oh, nice. um, in the app. So if you guys are in the Ajatakasa app, if you go to the Light Library, so you're going to go to the Institute, Light Library, Spiritual Development, it's right in there. And it's a whole surrender practice to just release and surrender, which is a huge part of, you know, 
our journey right now as a collective, I think. And, um, Carrie's sharing, she says, your enthusiasm is contagious. Your passion for the yogic way is palpable. Thank you. And all sorts of thank yous. Thank you, guys. Anne says, thank you. These reminders are helpful as I try to progress along my path. Oh, nice. So thank you guys so much for your thank yous and comments and donations yeah. and everything. So it's really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just to pick up on, you've said that word surrender, and that's so key. It's so part of, it's so key of Ishwar Pranidhan that, and the, the you know, in, uh, in, in the wild, wild west, if you surrender, you lose everything, right? Some guy comes at you with guns, they're going to take all the gold in your pocket. In spirituality, it's the exact opposite. By surrendering your unit ego, you get everything. And, um, and that's what the surrender is in, 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 in spirituality, surrendering the unit and getting the vast. And it's very, it's something that's, uh, we're all working on. We're mm -hmm. all working on. I can't believe we did it in an hour. Yeah, we did, we did, we got it through, we got through it. Well, I have an idea. So um, everyone out there who haven't downloaded the Ajatakasa community app, please do, it's in the app stores and it's free and the community is free. When you get into the app, you can join the yogis group. We have a whole group and Satyam is our community leader for that group. Um, but here's what I'm gonna do. I think I'm gonna post this video replay instead of in Buddhist Biohacker, I'm gonna post it in the yogis group. And Satyam, what do you think about us doing some jama and niyama activities, maybe in a, focus on one a week for the next few weeks and let's see if we can't you know, integrate some of this. That's great. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah, that's a great way. What a, uh, it'll take us from spring right into summer. We'll, we'll go through it one a week and let's see what folks have to say, reflections, uh, ways they're applying it. I, I think that's great. Let, let's, yeah, um, let's do it. We'll, let's we'll do it. So we'll, I'll post we'll, a video in Satyam. You post which one we're going to focus on first and we'll share some activities and, and let's keep working on it, you guys, because I think you can never work on these enough. Like there's no, always no. work to do here. <laughs> no, there is. This is a long, yeah, right. There's not a weekend endeavor. It takes the whole lifetime. Yeah, great. Totally. Now, before we go, please share with everybody your website where they can find you, all that good information. Sure. I am at Renaissance Yoga or Ren Yoga. You don't like to spell Renaissance. R-E-N-Y-O-G-A, RenYoga.com. I teach seven days a week. Uh, these days, all live online classes. There's also replays. And um, and you, under Renaissance Yoga or Ren Yoga, you can find me, and you can find me in the Ajatakasha app under uh, I think Ren Yoga Satyam Ren Yoga. Mm -hmm. Awesome! Thank you so much, Satyam. This has been great, great teaching as always. My, my favorite platform to come on and be able to talk in our nice, open, vast arena and explore all the great ideas of this universe. It's a wonderful gift you've offered us. I appreciate it. Oh, well, I love it. I And I missed you. And I'm excited because we're back with Satyam and Julie Voyle on Thursday to talk about spiritual community, which is another juicy topic. As you said, you know, yes, I went is. to um, university for a while at Naropa, um, which is founded by Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche, who has lots of spiritual controversy around his community. So um, it's going to be a great topic for us to just talk about what spiritual community is all about and how not to get caught up in some of the corrupt corruption that happens out there for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. It happens everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, if anyone's ready for a dynamic talk, um, that's the one. Come on, we'll see you Thursday, 5, uh, 5 p.m. East Coast time and 3 p.m. Mountain time. Yes, for sure. So, all right. Well, I love you guys so much. And I think um, I will be back at 11 a.m. on Thursday morning with Sue Hunt, one of our Diamond Beauties. And then, yes, as Satyam said, I'll be back at 3 p.m. Mountain Time to talk about spiritual community with Satyam and Julie. Thank you for watching. I will see you guys in the app. And um, we'll just keep honing our skills. Thank you so much, Satyam. Uh, thank you. Wonderful. Great seeing everyone. Thank you. Stay well. Thank Thanks, you. everyone.